This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. When we take the time to connect to our bodies, we can recognize the range left on our emotional gas tank and choose how far we can go with the emotional reserves we have. This isn't to say that you will never react, but the time you spend reacting and the recovery time thereafter will lessen. Additionally, based on your range, you can choose how and when to engage in situations. You wouldn't drive 100 miles if you only had less than a gallon of gas left in the tank. So why overextend yourself by taking on more than your emotional range can handle? This is the power of becoming body aware, taking charge of your emotional health by embracing the body that influences it. Movement alone does not guarantee positive mental health. Otherwise, professional athletes, artists, and performers would be the gold standard when it comes to mental health, and we know that is not always the case. While strength corresponds to mind and body, without the frequent dialogue between them and the ability to check in with the load on both, the mind can be quick to override the body's needs. We can push through, overexert, and burn out. This book is a guide to living your best life not by adopting a positive outlook, but by adopting a way to move through everything life throws at you and understanding how the way you move during challenging times is just as, if not more important than the way you move when things feel easy. Valeria Tellez interviews Erica Hornthal, the author of Body Aware, Rediscover Your Mind-Body Connection, Stop feeling stuck and improve your mental health with simple movement practices. Erica Hornthal, a licensed clinical professional counselor and board-certified dance movement therapist, is currently the CEO of Chicago Dance Therapy, the premier dance movement therapy practice in the Midwest. In her 10-plus years as a dance movement therapist, Erica has worked with thousands of patients ages 3 to 107, Known as the therapist who moves you, Erica has truly changed the way people see movement with regard to mental health. Erica's area of expertise has caught the attention of multiple publications, such as the Epoch Times, Dance Magazine, Martha Stewart Weddings, and Parade. As an expert on the intersection of movement and mental health, she has appeared in hundreds of publications, podcasts, live newscasts, and radio spots. Erica is dedicated to bringing awareness to the field of dance movement therapy to mainstream culture. Her book, Body Aware, will be published in August 2022. She is eager to provide knowledge on why and how the body should be addressed in the therapeutic relationship 
making the information digestible and accessible to anyone seeking to improve mental health. Meet Erica at ericahornthal.com. Here's the interview with Erica Hornthal. In your own words, who is Erica Hornthal? I am a dance movement therapist. I'm also a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Illinois. I live in just outside of Chicago um, with my husband. I have two kids and two French bulldogs. <laughs> ah, to complete, yeah. Yes. Ah, the circle. <laughs> That's beautiful. I just got a dog too. Wow, it's a lot of work. I can imagine mothers uh, with children. Yeah. Um, sometimes I think the dogs are more work than the kids. <laughs> right? Yeah. I feel that way. My husband too. <laughs> that is yeah. Funny. What is the purpose and the intention of the work you do? That's a question that was not here, but I feel like asking you now. Oh, sure. Um, I think in general, it's to support mental health. But from the dance movement therapy side of things, it's actually to help people reconnect the mind and the body. Um, and so that's using movement to support mental health. There's something about dance. Yeah, even the word itself kind of makes me happy. It makes me smile. Mm. I have been reading your book and there is a section where I think it's titled The Dance of Resilience. That oh, is yeah. right. It that for some reason kind of immediately put a smile on my face. Yeah. I'm wondering what is it about dance that kind of uh, it opens the heart. That's what it is. Talk to me for a moment about dance, the power of this. Sure. Well, I certainly feel that. I believe in that as well. And yet I recognize that for a lot of people, the word dance creates the alternate experience for mm. them. Yeah, <laughs> so they yeah. hear or they just read the word dance and they cringe because right. they themselves mm. don't have a relationship with dance or the relationship they have with dance for some is a trauma. They were told not to dance or you don't look good when you're dancing. It's a very scary experience for a lot of people. So at the heart of it, to me, dance is really just a way that we express ourselves. You know, I think we we dance before we do anything else. Um, you know, as as children, it may not look like the dance that we're used to seeing on stage or in the movies, but it is the very first way that we learn to communicate all of our expressions, you know, and happy and, you know, joyfulness, uh, maybe just one part of that. But oftentimes we tend to use dance as a way to express grief and loss and tradition and to celebrate. And yeah, I, I do know research has shown that even just watching dance can elicit many of the same emotions that we get from dancing. So I think just the experience of watching someone move through their body, watching someone else elicit emotions allows us to feel them as well, which mm -hmm. I think is really powerful, especially for most of us in the world today that deny our emotions. So, so true. I never thought about that, but it's true. When we watch people dance, there's something about that, that it touches us. It's, um, yeah, it lifts the spirit. It, like immediately makes me happy. That's for sure. Yeah, me too. Me too. But I know I recognize that that's not the, that's not the case for everybody, but I certainly feel that way as well. 
Oh, I love your relationship with this. Of course, mm-hmm. I've been reading about you. <laughs> so you also wrote a lovely book, Body Aware, Rediscover Your Mind-Body Connection, Stop Feeling Stuck and Improve Your Mental Health with Simple Movement Practices. So that's the title. And we'll be exploring the content of the book in a moment. My second or third open question is about mental health. What defines mental health? What is to be mentally healthy from your perspective? Yeah. Oh, man, that's a, that's a question, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, I think to tie into what I'm currently working on, and, and you even mentioned body aware, I think to me being mentally healthy is being aware that we have emotions that create unhealthy habits, unhealthy thoughts or behaviors, and that we can't always control what we think, but we can control what we do with what we think. And oftentimes that starts, actually, I think it always starts with the way that we move. We're moving and we're taking in all of these sensations that directly impact our mental health. And if we're not aware of how we're moving we might not even be aware of how it's impacting our mental health and how it's showing up in those thought patterns. That is powerful, and I never heard it that way. What an interesting message. And I was thinking, because I have been kind of reading your work and kind of uh, trying to incorporate some of that, like even when I was working, I was moving, (laughs) doing some Mm -hmm. dancing and all. That's interesting how we influence each other, right, in a positive way. And But something happened today. I was um, making some tea and then my mother-in-law came and I, for the first time, I think ever, I just dropped the tea on my hand and burned my hand, my left hand. So it seems like the body was not, it didn't respond well. The mental pattern was not there, like the emotions, because she came all of a sudden and I was not Mm -hmm. expecting. That didn't come to me because I'm very open to people in general, especially these days. I have been working on it. Not sure what I did, but I do a lot of healing work. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting how the body reacted or responded to her presence and burned itself. So I was wondering if that has something to do. I've been like kind of thinking about it too much, I guess. (laughs) That's why I'm talking to you about it. (laughs) I don't, I never claim to have, you know, one answer or Mm. one reason. Again, for me and and part of the writing the book, just just a small part, was just to open our our minds to being more aware, you know, and and instead of just taking things things for face value, asking these questions. So much like myself, I tend to ask Hmm you know, over ask questions, right? Or I'm <laughs> overanalyzing things, which I don't, I don't think is necessarily bad. Um, it's our own habits, right? It's our own patterns of the mind. But uh, so, so I think that's it. It's just an opportunity to open that dialogue and create that conversation with yourself, you know, and um, it could be something as simple as my arm was fatigued, or I was holding the, I was holding the cup in an awkward position, and I couldn't retain, you know, I couldn't hold on to it. And so it, it fell or, it, it repositioned itself and, you know, it, it dropped on the floor. Um, was my hand asleep, right? So it can be these physical things. It doesn't necessarily have to be emotional, but we don't know unless we create the awareness of what just happened. That <laughs> Why is, is my so body true. moving this way? Is this yeah. normal? Is this, you know, quote normal? Is this new for me? I think after having worked a lot with individuals that have movement disorders and cognitive disorders, sometimes we, we don't think about them, but what many of my clients over the, over the years have realized is their movement patterns were changing. Something was 
different than it had been. And I'm not suggesting that with, with your cup incident, but (laughs) (laughs) if if we're not aware, right. Or we pretend not to notice that something is happening over time, then we don't know the small indications that something's changing. So that's, yeah, for me, it's just awareness. You know, was it a circumstance? Was it the environment? Was it the way the person said, hello, did they surprise you? Perhaps you were reliving something in your mind when the person came and it just, it startled a response. So, so true, yeah, we just, there's so many, no, like I'm, I'm overanalyzing yeah. it now, right? There's so many questions and so yeah. many things that we can be aware of when it comes to why our body moves in certain ways. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I love the way you say these things because it's not just judging or going one way with it. It's just being open to kind of different kinds of answers that will come. Ask the question and wait for the answer. Yeah. Right. And it's so different depending on not just our environment, but our upbringings, our cultures, our, you know, the society we live in, our communities. So, you know, that's why I one of the reasons I, I never assume anything or try not to assume anything because my experience is my own and yours is yours. And even if we have similar backgrounds, the way we exist in our bodies is going to be different. What was the inspiration for you to become a dance movement therapist? Oh gosh, that's a book in itself. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, I just was so passionate about dancing in itself. You know, I, I didn't necessarily want to be an educator Um, I didn't really have, I knew I didn't have the talent, uh, at least in my mind, the talent that was needed to be a professional dancer in the capacity in which I thought that, you know, what that meant. But there was just something, talk about body, there was something in me that said, don't stop, don't, don't give up dance. Um, But nothing, nothing seemed to align when it came to potential careers. And so I had already been looking into the field of medicine and thought maybe I'd be a nurse. And it's so funny because now we see all these videos, right. Of medical professionals, nurses, doctors, dancing, you know, Ah, dancing their patients to the, to the OR or dancing with their patients after they finished their last round of chemo. Um, you know, so I was like, okay, maybe that'll be me. I'll be the dancing nurse. Um, That's cute. And so I started, right. I started, um, started taking Mm. psychology classes as kind of like a, an easy, you know, quote unquote, easy a, but what I found out is I really enjoyed it. And so much of it resonated for me. I was like reading things about myself in, in this textbook. And, um, I, it came time to meet with a professor and, um, the advisor for the dance, not dance therapy, but for the dance program that I was entering into. And she noticed the the connection. She saw that I really enjoyed dance and she saw that I was taking some psychology classes and she herself had created this dance and medicine program. And she asked me what I thought about dance therapy. And I, I stopped in my tracks because I'd never heard of that before. I, you know, I'd been dancing at that point, 18 years, um, I don't know, 15 years of my life. And I'd never heard other than, you know, dance as therapy, you know, dance to feel better. I'd never heard of a field called dance therapy and something again in my body just clicked and my mind was kind of freaking out because it didn't know what that yeah. was, <laughs> right. but I kind of just trusted that the answers would come. And I went and, you know, did some Google searching and, um, researched on the internet and started to interview people who were in the field. And it just, it just felt right. It felt 
Like, this is how I can marry my two passions. For the audience, those who don't know, I have read about it already, so I have an idea. But for those who don't know, what is dance movement therapy and how does it work? Dance movement therapy is a, a psychotherapy that uses movement to observe, to assess, and to intervene in the therapeutic alliance. So unlike what most people I think would think of when you hear the words dance therapy, while it can be a lot about dance and it can incorporate dance, for me as a dance movement therapist, it is really going back to that idea of dance as our earliest form of expression mm, and just yeah. uncovering ways yeah. to tap into the body to support our mental health. You know, most, and I talk about this a lot in, in the book, most of our communication is housed in our body. And yet when we have mental health issues, we rely on like 10% of our communication to, to work on these issues when most of what we're experiencing is actually so much deeper. So that that's really how I've come to know dance movement therapy. And it's different for all of my clients. Everybody has a different relationship to their body and to movement. Some come in with no relationship. Some come in with a negative relationship, but nobody would really call themselves a dancer. And yet dance therapy has been, I think for so many of them, the one thing that has totally been a game changer. I know you, you talk in the book about body language. How do we learn to identify those body languages, what the body's trying to say when we, we need help? at the uh, mental level? Yeah, well, I make a distinction in the book between body language and your body's language. Right, right, and right, I right. felt it important to do that because, you know, I'm, I'm not a body language expert and, and I don't claim to be, but I think sometimes because dance therapy is so unknown and people hear body and awareness and movement, they just assume, oh, well, I'm moving this way. What does that mean? Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and, right. and I, I'm always like, I don't know, you tell me. What does that mean for you? Uh, yeah. So I think it's really important to have those distinctions because there are people that claim to be body language experts. You know, they work with authorities, right, to, to take down um, criminals or, you know, to see if somebody's lying on the stand. That is not something I do. I find a lot of, um, I'm very intrigued by that work. But from what your question and what you're asking, it really becomes about learning your body's unique language. And that to me is what I call or what we talk about is the voice, right? The voice of your body. And that comes through in a lot of different ways. For some people, it's it's intuition. I think for some people, it's this idea of spirit. Um, for me, it's really just listening to sensations, making room and time to notice what I am feeling in my body. Uh, it could be hunger. It might be an itch. It might be a tight muscle. Something may have fallen asleep. You know, sometimes it's yeah. just noticing what I can't feel. Right. <laughs> True. <laughs> I love to, I sit uh, in the strangest yeah. way at my uh. desk. I always <laughs> sit on one of my legs or one of my feet and it can take hours until I realize I can't feel that foot anymore. You know, and so it's really just about learning how your body's trying to speak to you. And that for me, I noticed very early on that my body speaks a different language than my mind. And so a lot of trying to reconnect them was actually getting them to communicate together, realizing that 
they don't speak the same language. They may never speak the same language, but I have to find a way to translate between them. It sounds very spiritual to me in a way. Every time I read in your book and when you talk about paying attention, being aware of what the body's doing or not doing, that's something that we know in spirituality, some of the most powerful and deep practices and being in the moment, just being here now mm-hmm. and kind of breathing in and feeling everything. So it sounds spiritual to me. Is there any influence, spiritual influences within your work? Yeah, I, I believe so. I mean, and even if it's not my direct connection to spirit, the work that has come before what I do is very spiritual. So much of dance and medicine was spiritual. Um, so much of the movement and healing practices today come from a spiritual place. So I think just the, the nature of the work and the origins of the work tend to be very spiritual in nature. Um, but for me, what I notice is when I'm moving and when I speak to this work, um, I feel very passionate. People have, have said I, they can hear the passion mm-hmm. in my voice, yeah, yeah. but it, I feel like I'm speaking from my soul. <laughs> that feels a little existential, but it feels true. Like it doesn't feel, it's funny because sometimes I think like, oh, what is my definition for this? What am I going to say? And that comes from mind that comes from a very like logical place of you must memorize this. And, and, you know, what did you write down? Make sure you quote it correctly. Instead, I just let the soul speak and it feels like the intersection of everything. So it's, it's a little bit of mind, it's a little bit of body. And then this, it's like this entity that just kind of speaks for itself. And that, you know, for so many of us, that, that is the movement that is the, the unspoken that kind of comes through. So I I don't know. I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but that's kind of where it feels for me. It feels very soulful. It feels ironically out of body in a sense, right? Like beyond body, I guess. And I think body and movement is the way that that gets expressed. Um, It's it's not my quote. It's been said many times that um, dance or movement is the language of the soul. And I, I really believe that's true. And if we're if we're connected to that outlet, we can find our innermost authentic. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes, yes, a billion times you know, to everything <laughs> that you just said. Yeah, it really resonates true to the core. <laughs> I love your wisdom, Erica. <laughs> Thanks. Well, I, you know, I just I think I think so much, but I think that we've we've gotten so far from that because movement becomes this external, this, it looks a certain way. We have to do it a certain way. There's a certain exercise for it. And I have so many colleagues and, um, and therapists and, and practitioners that do this work that came before me that I think speak it into existence, um, move it in the world, I think better than I can. And it was just time, I think for, for it, in my hopes to become a little bit more mainstream, just for people to understand that it's, it's not just exercise. It's not just about meditation. We all have this wisdom if we're willing to take the time and effort to just tap into it and become more aware of how it manifests. What do you feel is the purpose of the human experience? The reason why we are here? Oh, wow. Um, I don't know. My, the first, the first word that came into my mind was purpose. I, I think I guess I can speak to my experiences. I feel like everyone has at least the potential 
right? To find meaning and to find purpose. I'd love to say that it's to, I don't even know how to put it, like almost like for the greater good, right? Um, to, to support human nature, to support, you know, our communities, to support our earth. I realize that that's not happening across the board. Otherwise, I think the world will look very different <laughs> right now. Yes, yeah. But I guess, you know, I think of human existence, like what is my existence? And for me, it was, it, it's this feeling of passing on or um, extending some knowledge with regard to how we can direct or create um, our own paths, right? Like maybe some people believe it's they're predestined or, or maybe part of it's predestined. And then we have, you know, we can make our, our own choices. But so often people feel like it's out of their control. Um, what's done is done or, you know, they're kind of reckless with the choices that they make or feel they don't have choice. And um, I feel like when we have purpose, when we have meaning, whatever that is for someone, it really directs those behaviors. It drives our our thoughts and we can see positive change. We can see, you know, a healthier planet. We can see healthier communities. We can agree. We can disagree, but we don't have to come at each other over it. Right. We can, we can have differences and still honor, honor each other as individuals. So I don't know if that's, if that answers your question, but I think, I think the human existence is to have purpose to, to provide meaning and to hopefully influence others in a very positive way. Why do you think it happened? Do you feel like that is something natural, that life is always trying to balance itself and then you have the dark and the light? You know, as I started kind of asking myself these questions, kind of like, why are we doing these things and where did we go wrong? Like, a lot of it to me felt like just being in the dark, not, not the dark parts, but like being in the dark, not having awareness, not caring to be aware of things. You know, I, I'm very careful about this in my book because I don't want to throw technology under the bus. There are a lot of wonderful things that it affords us and, and grants us in this day and age. But we've really, I don't even know how to put it. We, we overuse it. Um, it's become a crutch, I think for a lot of us, I mean, myself included, I, I recognize many times that I'm just aimlessly scrolling on a smartphone, which <laughs> yeah. is, you know, I, I, again, I stop myself and I try to become more aware and I'm like, what are you doing? And then I realize I'm doing nothing. And actually what I am doing is detracting or distracting myself from what's happening in the moment. And that might be noticing my child smiling. It might be, tending to my own parts, you know, something that's in pain or in need of getting, you know, having a, a need met. Um, it's a distraction. And so I think as long as we continue to have these really big distractions as part of our lives, we are going to miss the big picture. Um, and I know that's not a new message by any means, but it just, especially within the last two years, I feel like it's just gotten so much worse. You know, I see some people saying like, I refuse to let my child on social media, you know, or they're not going to have a phone until they're this age. And it's kind of sad to me that we've gotten to that place. But sometimes, I, you know, I don't agree with, you know, all or nothing. I think there's a spectrum, there's a gray area. But um, it's nice to hear some of those narratives coming through, because I think sometimes we say, oh, this is just the way the world is now. We're all screens all the time. And I don't think that's healthy for us. And I don't think it has to be that way. But we have to start to pay attention to how it's influencing our, our, our lives negatively. So true, Erica. So it goes back to awareness, doesn't it? Does it does for me. I tend to think, yeah, I talk about that word a lot. <laughs> yeah, I love that word. Yeah, it is, it is true. I just talked yesterday. I was, 
talking to somebody about that and like, no, being aware, it's so important. Always I wonder about everything. I wonder why. Yeah, it's what you said. We are trying to escape the moment to what is now. And um, hmm, that's the mind, isn't it? Like, let me ask you this question now about what is it about the mind? So we are composed of many elements, the mind, the body, and the soul, as you mentioned earlier. So the mind plays um, a very important role with a big one, but it seems to me like we have kind of misplaced the order of those elements <laughs> and the mind has been driving everything. So yeah. talk to me for a moment about that, this balance between mind, body, and soul, but specifically the mind. What is the role of the mind? You know, I say in in the book that for the purposes of the book itself that it's it it is about awareness it's being aware of our experiences the world around us how we think how we feel um it can be about consciousness of thought just being aware of our thoughts again that word aware you know i i make the distinction i think it's very important that we know that the mind is not the brain um oftentimes or or we associate mind with head that it's in my head which for a lot of people it is but I remember fairly early on in my graduate program being asked, where do you feel your mind and finding a way to embody your mind? And for some people, the mind is actually outside of the head. It's kind of, you know, in a halo, if you will, like in the air above us. Um, I've worked with clients where they say, you know, their mind is is in their body. I feel it in my gut. I feel it in my heart. So I think for us to start piecing out that mind is not just brain. Mind does not just have to be thought process um, is a way to start. But as you mentioned, we did. We got we got to this place where mind and body are separate. Mind reigns supreme. I mean, centuries and centuries ago, psychology was soma. It was body and mind. It wasn't it wasn't just thought. You know, I could go on and on, but I think a lot of it has been for gain. You know, and certain scientific areas, right? We kind of, uh, we put all this pressure and importance on one area and then unfortunately it detracts from the body. And sometimes it's to sell things. Sometimes it's to, you know, keep people up on a pedestal and to leave others down. So I don't know. I find body is kind of the, the equalizer. Um, I mean, I realize how that sounds. A lot of people would say that's not true, but with the experience of our bodies, like how we sense things, how our body is made up, you know, the elements of our bodies, like we all experience that. Um, it's very common, you know, part of, part of me writing the book too was about movement, like kind of being this grand equalizer that we all have the capacity to move. And that's also our superpower. It's kind of what makes us different as well. So yeah, I, I, part of my intention is to, is again, this like this reconnect, you know, I mean, um, or rediscovering. Cause I once had a colleague say that you can't reconnect something that was never disconnected. <laughs> mm, true. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Right. Like our yes. minds and body aren't disconnected, but we, we place less importance on the body. And so we kind of, we connect from it, but to rediscover, you know, that these two things have always been connected and we're, we're, we're getting back there, but even that is from a very scientific place. So for me, it was so beneficial to just just write about like getting back into your body. What do you feel? What do you experience? And that they're both important. I don't think one is any more important than the other. And, you know, they're all part of the human experience. They all allow us to move through and, and ideally keep ourselves safe as well. 
Wow, I love the way you talk about consciousness and the body, location, the non-local. Yeah, that people, we experience consciousness or the mind, the activities of the mind in different ways. That's kind of mm-hmm. interesting to hear because it's so true. Yeah, and I think the conversation is certainly opening up more around trauma, you know, with like books like The Body Keeps the Score, which so many people have read, so many people are understanding things like somatic experiencing, you know, uh, polyvagal theory, like understanding that trauma is embodied, but it's more than that. Everything is embodied. So, you know, I've had people say, oh, well, yeah, but I don't, I don't identify with trauma. You know, I, I don't have any trauma in my life, which, okay, maybe they're denying it, or maybe that's true. I don't know. It's for them to decide, but, um, you do not need to connect to or understand trauma to know that everything you experiences in your body. Uh, and that's, you know, oftentimes how we can create those, those feelings of self and security and connection and relationship. Um, we look outside ourselves when all we have to do is actually turn the camera around. I guess the point that I'm, uh, the stage or whatever I'm, I'm at now, is just kind of letting it flow and just mm-hmm. being as natural as possible yeah. without engaging the mind with the labels to whatever the body is expressing or trying to do. It's been fun <laughs> to just navigate this reality this way. Yeah, I think for some people, I mean, myself included, it it can feel scary. Yeah. Um, you know, I, yeah. I alluded to something in the book where uh, I basically said, if you've spent most of your life living in your mind, it can be very scary to live in your body. Yeah, I love that um, message. Yeah. And yeah. it's true. I mean, it's so true for me. Sometimes being in the body, trauma or not, is is just scary because you're feeling something that you can't explain. And if it's not joyful, or at least for me, if it wasn't joyful, it was scary. And I, I think just having the ability to take small steps to just to just be in our bodies, that it doesn't have to be this big, profound, oh, I, I've had an awakening, <laughs> or oh, I'm connected yeah. to spirit. Like yeah. It can just be remembering that our body's telling us when to eat. It's mm. telling us when to drink. It's telling us that mm. there's a pain, there's an ache, something's itchy. <laughs> you know, mm, it's like yeah, just these, right. these little cues so um, that starts a healthier relationship with our body before we even dive into these big epiphanies, you know, which I think can be very exciting. I love uncovering this kind of stuff with myself. I mean, talking to my own therapist, my dance therapist. Like, I, I love being able to find metaphor through movement, but that's not where everybody has to go. And and it can take years. Like you, you mentioned some, like it can take lifetimes to, to get to that real deep place of awareness and awakening. And so many of us are so far from that. It feels like, oh, that's not for me. Um, and I think that was also the reason, one of the reasons I wanted to, I wanted to write a book like this to make it as accessible and tangible for people so that you can pick it up, have never engaged in any movement practice, but understand that all of this is relatable because you're in your body, you move through the day, and why not start to use it for your benefit? <laughs> mm, yeah, right. right. If we are here. Right. In make, it. make your day a little bit lighter, right? I mean, we have so much stress right now. It's like, is there some way that I can lessen the load? And the truth is, it. yes, you're standing in it. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. That's uh, funny you say that. And of course, you wrote about it in the book. That this idea keeps coming back to me. The more human I become, the more spiritual insights I have. Mm. So that's kind of oh, interesting. So beautiful. It's not really reaching these abstract and elevated, abstract way of thinking of being, but actually quite the opposite. Just um, yeah. the simple things. It's so simple. Uh, like you said, yeah, we're already here. 
Yeah. It makes me think of, you know, people that often we turn to for what we think of like spiritual wisdom or guidance, you know, sometimes like monks, right? The Dalai Lama. It's so interesting to me that, that individuals with, everybody has distraction, right? But what appears to be individuals who are in environments with simple environments, we'll say, right? Compared to us that, you know, we've got how many phones and how many Mm -hmm. TVs and all this technology and electronics, when we simplify life, it feels like we can be more spiritual. Yeah. And then it's like, yes. Oh my God, how do I accomplish that? And it's, it makes me laugh because I'm like, well, just turn off some things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not adding, it's removing. You don't have to go on a big expensive retreat. You can actually (laughs) just go sit under a tree in your backyard and just, you know, find moments of stillness within your body to just start to listen to what is there. Oh my God. Yes. So, uh, yeah. I, you know, it's, it's inspirational to, to hear what comes from these individuals. And to me, it makes a lot of sense because they're creating the paths for these words to come through. I don't doubt that we could have those, those wisdoms, but we don't, we don't put them in our day. We don't, it's not, it's not necessarily going to happen on your commute to the city. It's not necessarily going to happen on the L on your way home. Right. <laughs> um, you know, it, it becomes a practice. It really does. And for people that dedicate their lives to it, it seems so unattainable for so many of us. But I love the way the example you just gave about just being calm, being in your backyard under the tree. That's sometimes that's all it takes for the profound insights to come. It often happens mm-hmm. to me just when I remove things. So it's not about adding. Definitely not about adding. Right. It's already anything, here. It's taking away, right? Yeah. Yes. You know, take away the distractions, take away the comforts. <laughs> right. Yeah. And just just yeah. be. You know, I I'm realizing more and more that I say like sometimes we need it's it's not about the doing, it's about the being. But we don't let ourselves be very often because it's always clouded with a to-do list or, you know, a convenience that, again, is there to make things convenient, but it actually complicates a lot of what the body is trying to express. I love your message. And I will talk to you forever. I would be here for hours yeah, and hours. No, and your questions are beautiful. I'm like, <laughs> uh, my head is, I'm in my mind. My head is like reeling right now. I'm like, hmm, wow, what else? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was not really the idea, but I love exploring, I guess, the real. It's such a beautiful conversation. It's interesting because I know we talk about being ahead and you have a section in your book where you say that I have it here, I have too many. Yeah, you have 30 movement prompts to get mm-hmm. you out of your head and into mm-hmm. your body. Yeah. You have that and I was reading, going through them like, wow, how insightful. But yes. it's out of your head, but you, you don't mean really out of your mind because right, it's, the right. mind is everywhere, it's not just in your head. Right, right. It's not it's not the idea of losing your mind getting <laughs> yeah. to your body, right? It's, yeah. <laughs> it's stop the the thought cycles, you know, the harmful like what ifs and oh, does this look right? And it's funny to me that um, you know, I I I created that that those 30 prompts um actually outside of the book and ended up just putting it in the book as as a good reference, but they make me laugh a little bit because mm. they're they're yeah. just they're just movements that we that we do that we take for granted. You know, I think one of them is put down your phone yeah, <laughs> or yeah. Um, stand right. on one leg or yeah. jump up and down, clap your hands. Like these are just ways to, to move, to literally move our bodies. Because if we're feeling un, if we're feeling unmotivated, if we're feeling stuck in any way, the number one way to move through that is to just get your body moving. And sometimes people are like, Oh, then I have to go to the gym and I don't have the time for that. Or I got to go run outside. Like, no, stand up. That's it. Stand yeah. up. 
simple. (laughs) So simple. (laughs) Raise your hands, you know, wiggle your fingers. Like just remember what it's like to be in your body. Things that like we do as kids, you know, we sometimes get told not to do or not now, that's not the right time. But it's never the wrong time to express yourself through your body in a healthy and safe manner. I love your message. I love your work. I love everything about it. And, and about <laughs> you too. <laughs> you Thank and your you. message. I feel the same way about you. And I, I so appreciate you having a platform where people can talk about, you know, what what's important to them, their messages, and then ideally, you know, a place to share it with with the world. Oh, I love this, Eric. It's my sacred moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although there's a lot of mine in the sense of um, intellectual conversations when it comes mm. to concepts like this, but yeah. it can be felt. My body feels all that and I get to practice too, because like today, as I said earlier, I was practicing some of these um, suggestions mm-hmm. in your book. I became more aware of the body and what it was doing and how. That's interesting how beautifully we influence one another. Um, Yeah, yeah. So in your book, you also have throughout the book, Movement Rx. You have directions and then you have dosage and you have side effects. (laughs) It made me laugh. (laughs) That too. I was like, that's so much fun. Um, Um, I have a last minute ad. (laughs) Yeah, I was honestly... um, one day I was working with a client and I kind of joked, you know, oh, I should, I should, I should give you your prescription, you know, and I, I can't actually give prescriptions. I'm not a psychologist, but, um, I created just this little kind of like play note pad. Uh, it was a gag gift, you know, it kind of looks like a real prescription. And I would just write down the movements that we did in that session or things that we wanted to be more aware of. And a lot of my clients were like, this is great. Like, it actually gives me a reason to continue to practice this, or I'm going to put it on my refrigerator. And so I thought, you know, other than just takeaways, like, I really want to be able to put this at the end of each chapter because everybody can use these movement prescriptions. And then the joke was like, well, what if we, what if we added the dosage? Like how often somebody should do this? And then I thought it was funny to do side effects because I think we all know that there are no negative side effects and everything is just, you know, more awareness, increased consciousness, um, feeling better in your body. So um, I'm glad that you appreciated that. Very much. Yeah. I love anything that's playful. So it has Mm. to do with, um, I guess, the metaphor for light. So the more playful we become, it seems like more light comes into the room or in our lives. It really feels that way. Let me just go through some of the um, comments, the passages in your book that caught my attention. Sure. There's one where you say, I think it's one of the takeaways, I believe, not sure where, but it says, the body holds answers to questions that the mind does not even know to ask. That really kind of stopped me <laughs> when I read that. I mean, who writes this? <laughs> who even comes up with these things? Um, me for Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Really, like, I think I I wrote that a long time ago, and it was it was it was how people say content for for social media, and it was funny because when I decided I'm going to do this, I'm going to write a book. I didn't know where, but I knew that 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 sentence needed to go in the book because I remember having such big dialogue around it the first time that I posted it on on social media. So that's where it comes from. <laughs> Yeah, what a beautiful. Ironically, it was, you know, kind of just jumping on the bandwagon when we talk about, you know, technology, (laughs) but um, it's it's resonated for me. I don't really know where that came from. And I've tried to really come back to that quote for for myself so often because um, it rings true. 
It does. Yeah, it resonates very much through. That stopped me. And then so many others, of course. There's another one. So many who say, we must feel our way through in order to then think our way out. Beautifully written, too. <laughs> Thanks. And then you say, meet the body where it is in order to guide the mind where you want it to go. Yeah, because so often we do the opposite. <laughs> The opposite, for sure. Yeah. Right. I want to feel better this way, so I'm going to do that. And it's like, no, the body doesn't really want to do that. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Forcing it. Yeah, it's so, so true. And then you say, by embracing movement and all movement that is possible in your body at any given moment, you have the ability to go from a place of avoidance to a place of abundance. That's another powerful message. So true, resonates true. And then, of course, I love the dance of resilience. That's chapter eight. Mm -hmm. The way you talk about emotional temperature. I never heard it that way. Did you create that, um, this idea, this concept? I don't remember reading it. Um, it wasn't a concept that I was familiar or connecting, you know, a, a certain person to. And it was actually years ago, kind of what I thought I would write a book about this idea of emotional temperature or emotional homeostasis. And I remember searching it and seeing a similar thought or thread come up. And I thought, Oh, well, I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't want to take anybody's work. I don't want to pretend that it's mine and, you know, have an issue. Um, and I kind of let it alone, but honestly, I've continued to use it in my sessions um, with my clients, you know, I'll talk about just that idea of emotional temperature and what is it like to have a fever or do you know when you're running cold? Um, so, you know, I, I put it in the book because it's very much a, a part of what I do in my sessions or oftentimes in sessions. I don't, I don't know if and where that actually originated from. Um, it was an original thought to me, but I wouldn't doubt if someone out there has actually written about the idea of kind of, uh, emotion, uh, you know, temperature being emotional or, or the, the metaphor between the two. Yeah. So if there is, and anybody listening knows, uh -huh. let me know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I right. would love to know if there is someone that actually trademarked that or kind of is doing research around this idea of emotional temperature, but, but no, it just kind of became a metaphor that I was using with clients and it just stuck. And, um, then I have clients say it back to me and I thought, Oh, okay, well maybe there's something here. I'll definitely put it somewhere in the book, but it wasn't, it didn't feel appropriate to have an entire book about it anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It caught my attention though, because it resonated true as well. Yeah. But the body changes, you're right. The, the temperature, cold, hot, yeah, it, it can be felt with different emotions when we experience different emotions. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it just came from a working from a session and it kind of stuck as so many things in the book did. It was like a, a metaphor that came out and it stuck and it resonated for one client and then it resonated for another. And before we know it, it kind of kind of became something that I use a lot. And so I thought, well, if I'm talking about my framework and my orientation, I definitely want to put it in my in, in the book and share it with whoever's willing and ready to read it. And then you also say the other thing, we're almost at the end, but there's so many other passages here. There's one that where you say, a greater range in movement correlates to a, a greater range of emotional capacity. That was interesting to um, kind of think about it. So movement and emotional capacity, they kind of go together. Yeah. Do you feel like women, we have a greater range of emotional capacity than men or? I don't. 
I don't know if we have more. I think it's more expected mm, <laughs> or, right. or it's assumed, right, that right. women are more, quote, emotional. Yeah. Um, but I've, I've met plenty of, of, you know, women or people that identify as women that are not in touch with their emotions and, mm, and stifle right. their emotions or, um, right. or kind of manipulate their emotions, if you will, or they've been taught to, to manipulate emotions, you know? So I don't know. I mean, coming from, from that quote, right. More emotional, more range of movement. Yeah. I think that, that kind of equalizes the playing field. Cause I think, well, I know just as many men that have a lot of range of movement especially within like the somatic world as, as there are women. So I don't know. I don't, I don't think I think of it in that term or yeah. see that in that way, maybe as much as I did growing up thinking, you know, oh, women are more emotional because I think it comes down to movement patterns, you know? So mm. if, if women are, are more, whatever emotional means, usually crying, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. like, like that's the stereotype. Yeah. And then uh-huh. what men are more strong, more angry, more direct, well, that's seen in movement patterns, you know? Mm. So are women more light or indirect in their movements and are men more strong and direct in their movements? Because that would actually be limiting capacity. If we're only moving in certain ways, mm. then we're limiting the other range of emotions. True. So no wonder men aren't lighter and emotional. Yeah. <laughs> and, and women, yeah. I mean, I'm being totally facetious here, like <laughs> not, not really believing these things. But, you know, then of course women wouldn't be as aggressive or strong. Yeah. So at the heart of it, it's just about engaging these different movement patterns and these different behaviors so that not only can we move differently, but we can feel more. We can allow ourselves mm. to be angry mm. and happy. We can be angry and sad. We mm. can be joyful and complacent. I mean, mm. it's yeah, yeah, it was just uh, the the physical idea I had uh, was like if you only moved your arm up and down, up and yeah. down, up and down, up and down. If someone grabs your arm and pulls it left or right, that's pretty jarring because we're not used to moving in that way. Right. Let alone the fact that it's it's dangerous because it feels like someone's, you know, coming at us or yeah. or uh, or controlling our movements. Right. But if you're used to moving up and down, side to side it doesn't feel as unknown or uncomfortable because it's like, oh, yeah, I'm used to moving this way. Okay, this was unexpected, but I can roll with the punches. I can maneuver out of this situation. Mm. It's not as threatening to the system if it's something that I've already experienced. That is so true. And that, that was the idea for me with regard to experiencing more movement. Um, and then that yeah. comes, that comes mm. with a disclaimer, right? Because as I said in the book, when we move more, we feel more. And so if we're not yeah. used to moving in certain ways, it can feel very jarring. It can be triggering. It can feel very unsafe. And that's why I think it's really important to go slow, to find support along the way. You know, you don't have yeah. to do this alone. The, the, exercise in, in, the exercises in the book are meant to go at a slow pace, um, but you certainly don't have to do them alone. You know, and if right. you're looking to explore this work that we've been talking about, yeah. I certainly don't advise people to do it alone because mm-hmm. if it's new and you're not used to moving, it can feel very overwhelming very easily. So it goes back to that um, flexibility and adaptability. That's mm-hmm. flexibility, adaptability, they go together, of course. In, in life, that's crucial for survival in every way. So, and with that in mind, I wanted to ask you about your services. How do people meet you if they wanted to hire you for sessions in person only or online, Erica? Oh, um, well, I'm still doing both just because of the the nature of the world right now. And 
that so many people are are more comfortable now with with telehealth or virtual meeting. And while it was strange at first, it's definitely, for lack of a better term, it's definitely possible. You know, it's it only takes really the ability to be in your body. And while there's a different energy when we're together in the same room, work the work is still possible. So I'm very open to both. I love to meet people in person, but I, I realize that that is usually only in the Chicagoland area. Um, but I'm I'm so open to like consulting and at least giving uh, people the opportunity to see how how we can rediscover uh, this mind body connection. So people can reach out to me um, through my website, it's just EricaHornthal.com, or um, my my email and I think even my phone number is listed. So I always encourage people to reach out because obviously I'm I'm super passionate about this and the reason for writing the book was actually to just spread this idea beyond my own region of where I do my work. You say something else that was really, really beautiful. We as individuals are not broken. It is a system, a system that devalues mental health, self-care, and the need for balance. I think it was under the, your body's status quo, I think. Uh, that, yeah. That was under that, I believe. I started to write that and I thought, you know, gosh, people are going to think they're broken. And I mean, I've had that thought, right? I think we've had like, what's wrong with me? And I think it's really important to remember that it's, it's not us. Like there's nothing wrong. There's nothing broken. It's, it's a piece of us, you know, that maybe got lost or needs to be tapped into. We need to find some compassion for, or again, just be more aware of. And so I felt the need to really put that sentence in there because I thought, gosh, I don't want people to walk away thinking or to stop reading because they think, oh, she thinks I'm broken. Forget this. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, the system, uh-huh. you know, the system of mental health, the system of mind over body. Um, I mean, I think people are going to read into a lot of, quote, systems that are broken into that sentence um, that I'm not well equipped to speak to. But, you know, that it's it's we're so quick to judge and say that we're the ones that are broken rather than seeing the system as broken and that we also can't just throw out the system. We need to create a foundation to rebuild or to, to fix the system. Um, and so, again, I think that's a metaphor for starting within ourselves and looking at our own bodies and how we can practice what we want to see the change uh, become. I think it was Gandhi who said that, wasn't it? He said, somebody asked him, what is your message? And he said, my life is my message. Oh, So that was, um, yeah. Yeah, it's very, very wise and, and so yeah. true. And thank you for being that, Erica, for being not just the messenger, but the message itself. I oh. can hear in your voice and your work. <laughs> There's a lot of love in there. So thank you. Thank you for putting it that way. That's, yeah, that's, it's really powerful. I appreciate that. And before we end the conversation today, I have a few more questions, the ending questions. And before that, I wanted to also mention another comment. There are so many of them, as I said, that I have in front of me, but I'll read this one. You said, <laughs> if you want to show up in this life, you've got to begin by showing up in your body. So my ending questions, uh, I'll ask you this one. What is another word for life? Dance. <laughs> ah, dance. Oh, I, I love that. Oh, yeah. um, for life. Uh, well, yeah. I, I say this a lot. I was not the first person to say this either, but I think it's become very commonplace huh. is, 
it's it's been said that life is dance. So mm. I guess I'd have to say dance. Yeah, I love that answer and resonates. <laughs> yeah. It's so true, so true. There's a dance of love, I would say. It keeps going back to me, to kindness and love, and which has to do with finding balance and being kind to ourselves. Yeah, yeah. My last question is, what three things you wish everyone to experience before they lose the body, before they die? Well, I'm just going to go with what comes to me first because I feel like I could write a book on that. So um, I think um, love, even if that's, well, especially self-love, compassion and gratitude for like ourselves and for others. (laughs) So those are kind of cliche, but I think they are for a reason. I mean, those are things that not everybody thinks that they deserve. And um, not everybody gets to feel, but I think we should all be able to feel those before, as you said, we lose our bodies. Thank you so much, Erica, for being you, for being open to life and to let this light, this wisdom to flow through you and then just be here expressed in this form, the way you put out there is just beautiful. Thank you so much for being open again. Thank you, Valeria. I really appreciate that. I mean, I just, yeah, I, I... you're very it's something sweet. I do for fun. I mean, it's something I do for fun, but um, yeah, you know, for you know. to to put it that way and to just create this platform so that um, messages like mine can be heard. It's um, yeah, it doesn't. I don't take it lightly, and I really, really thank you for creating this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for the encouragement. The body appreciates. Erica is the only mm-hmm. part that complains sometimes. <laughs> Here and there, all the sensations that you speak of. Yeah, it complains. But I try to take care of it too. Mm-hmm. So before we say goodbye again, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Yeah, the best place to go is my website. It's ericahornthal.com. And um, you can get in touch with me there. You can pre-order the book there. And um, yeah, social media, but everything's connected to my website. So feel free to start there and explore beyond. Oh, wonderful. I'll have the link of your website on the podcast profile. And I forgot to mention that your book will be released on August 9th, 2022. Mm -hmm. Which is not soon enough, but (laughs) I know it'll be August before we realize it. Right, so so um, true. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I'm so eager to to finally, like for me to finally get a copy, but um, I'm so eager to to share it with everybody because it's, uh, yeah, I think it's relatable. And honestly, to have... To hear how um, how it touched you, I'm excited to 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 share that with others. So I really appreciate your your feedback and uh, your your encouragement it means a lot. Yeah, thank you for the work you do, and not just individuals. I think also other professionals, therapists, will appreciate your work very much. <laughs> I can see that happening. <laughs> That's my hope. I mean, it was not written for them, but it is my hope that therapists, practitioners will who do focus on the mind will take more of a body centered approach. Thank you again, Erica, and we'll talk soon. Okay, take care. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Erica Hornthal and her work, please visit ericahornthal.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.